2 Timothy chapter number 2. And I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. The Word of God says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'd ask that you'd bless your word tonight, that you'd speak to the hearts of your people, that you'd encourage them, that you'd teach us, Lord, through the Holy Spirit, these truths. I pray for each and every person here, that you would work effectually in their hearts. And Father, that tonight we'd see only Jesus Christ, that only he would be lifted up and glorified in all that takes place. We love you, Lord. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want to read to you once again verse number 3. Paul writing and exhorting the young man Timothy says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Can I say to you tonight that as I read this passage in front of me, I'm convinced of a few things just by verse number 3. And one of the things that I'm convinced of is that hard times will come to the Christian. I've heard folks say before, you know, I'm not enduring, I'm enjoying. And that sounds good to say. And I will agree that we ought to enjoy the Christian life. But usually the folks that are saying that aren't in a place where they have much to endure, or they wouldn't be saying that. You see, suffering and heartache and difficulty are intrinsic to the human experience. I don't care who you are, you will face hard times. Our nation is facing hard times right now. Wouldn't you agree with that? Uh, would you have ever thought you'd have seen a day when a gallon of gasoline would run you uh, what a gallon of milk does or thereabouts? And we live in a day where, and it's hard to afford either of them, amen? We live in a day where it seems as though the political powers that be have no consideration of the will or of the cares of the people. We are in a politically difficult and hard time in the nation that we're in. seems like every day that you turn around, there's a new war that's about to be started. There's a new country that's about to be bombed. There's a new problem that we're facing. We turn on the TV and sometimes you get the sense that just the world is about to fall to pieces. We live in a nationally and politically hard time. I'd say that the family has a hard time today. Don't you believe so? Never before has such abnormality been considered normal as the day that we live in. Why, there was a day when uh, it was pretty clear uh, what constituted a family. You knew that a family was constituted of a husband and a wife and children. But our children are growing up in a day where those lines are, uh, the society is seeking to blur those lines. Now uh, the home has an assault being launched against it. And uh, all sorts of things that are abominations to God are being passed off as being normal and being acceptable and being okay in the society that we live in. Who would have ever thought, many of you, when you were young, you would have never dreamed we'd live in a day where sodomy would not only be accepted, but you would be lambasted for proclaiming that there was anything abnormal about it. But that's the day we find ourselves in. The home is having a difficult time. 
They say that uh, one out of every two marriages ends in divorce. How could you even come to those numbers? Uh, when you think about uh, the many that are on their second and third, and then you talk, think about some that uh, are just shacking up and have been for years. Amen? We live in a world of abnormality being passed off as normality. This is a hard time for the family to live in. Hard time for our young people to grow up in. I would say that not only is our nation, politically we're dealing with hard times, and our homes are dealing with hard times, but I'd say for the individual Christian, we live in a day of hard times. All around us there are voices shouting for us to be quiet. All around us there are voices shouting out, declaring that uh, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is hate speech, that it ought to be muzzled and silenced and stifled. Who would have ever thought we would have seen this day that we live in? But then I'd say that personally, lots of times folks are facing hard times. We don't even know the struggles going on in this room right now. Right now as I preach, we don't know what's going on in the lives of folks. We don't know what they may be facing. I say all that to say that hard times will come, both to the saved and to the unsaved alike. And I see that in this passage. But I'm encouraged because I see not only that hard times will come, but I see that we can endure them. It is possible. Isn't it good to know tonight that we don't have to feel like we're going to be swallowed up by these difficult times that we live in? It surely feels that way sometimes, doesn't it? When you turn on the television and you're, uh, you're, you're conscious that the moral majority isn't such a majority and most of them ain't so moral anymore, and you feel as though the, the churches that are around that are preaching uh, the Word of God and the whole count, not just preaching the gospel, mind you. I mean, that's wonderful. We need to keep an emphasis on the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we're called to preach the whole counsel of God. And churches many times that are failing in this way and ceasing and neglecting to reach folks, it's easy sometimes to feel as though we'll be swallowed up in the influences around us. I face as a, as a young and as a new parent the daunting task of raising a child in this world that we live in. And it's easy sometimes to lament and to cry out and say, how will we ever get them raised to know something about God in this godless world that we live in? And sometimes it's easy uh, to look around as a Christian and say to yourself, how will I ever maintain my testimony in uh, the darkness that we live in and that surrounds us. But the Bible tells me that I can endure. It is possible. It may, there may not be many folks doing it, but it is possible. There may not be many standing, but that don't mean I have to fall. There may not be many that are holding to the truth, but I don't have to give up. I mean, listen tonight, God didn't save us just so we could live like everybody else. God saved us so that we could be a different, a peculiar group of people in this world that we live in. And it encourages me tonight to know that it's possible that we can. We can endure. But it's going to take something. Look at that. It says, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Here we find the defining and the deciding factor as to whether or not we'll endure these hard times that we're faced with in the right way is how do we approach them. I would be lying to you if I told you that every Christian around, that they never fail, that they never give in, that they never stumble. But I'd also be lying if I told you that there wasn't anybody that was standing, because there are some. What's the difference? The difference is how they approach the hard times that we're faced with. I want to give you three truths tonight in dealing with hard times, and I want to encourage you in saying that if we'll follow these, these will help us in this time that we live in to take a stand for Jesus Christ. I want you to notice what it says in verse number 4. The Bible says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, 
that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. I'd say the first truth that helps us take a stand in these days that we live in is the truth of separation. You know, the Bible teaches separation, that Christians ought to be separate from the world. Now, I'm not going to get up here and fuss at you about hymn lines and about tops and so on and so forth, because uh, you've heard it before. It's been said a hundred thousand times, and there is a, a side to separation that I think often we neglect as we preach the doctrine of separation. A lot of times we talk about being separated from the world as far as our standards and as far as our behavior. But notice again the language. It says, entangleth himself. What's the next phrase? With the affairs of this life. Could I say that if we're going to stand in these hard times that we live in, we're going to have to learn to be separate as to the affairs that we're involved in and as to the things that concern us in this world. I said a moment ago that you turn on the news and every, every day there's a new tragedy. Every day there's, there, there is a new debacle. Every day there's something new that's going to shut this old world down. And I'm not dismissing those things out of hand, but can I remind you that there'll come a day when this world will be set on fire. But your citizenship, if you're saved, is not of this world. It's easy to get upset sometimes. It's easy to get frustrated. It's easy to look around at this world and say, oh, the whole thing uh, has turned their back on God. But you must remember as a believer that this world is not your home. This is not your citizenship. I mean, listen, I'm not saying you shouldn't live separately from the world. uh, But right now, I'm not talking about your outward being separated. I'm talking about the inward man. I'm talking about your heart being separated. Take courage in this day that we live in, when we live in a hard and hateful world that despises Christ and Christianity, that hates all the things of God, that if it had its way would snuff out the precious light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, taking encouragement tonight in the fact that this world is not the world that you're a part of. I think sometimes I get accused uh, of being sort of an isolationist in my mentality. I, I, in fact, I was talking to uh, Brother Kerry today. He said, did you hear about this and did you hear about that and did you hear about this and did you hear about that? I said, I don't watch the news, Brother Kerry. I don't turn it on. I don't look at it. Now, if you do, God bless you. I'm not criticizing you. Uh, but me, myself, I, I never turn the stuff on. I never watch it. Uh, because I am aware that no matter what is going on in this world, that's not my chief and main concern. No matter what. Can I say that before I'm an American, I'm a Christian? I, I'm not saying I'm not an American. I'm just saying before I'm an American, I'm a Christian. Before I'm a capitalist, I'm a Christian. Before I'm anything, I'm a Christian. And I know that no matter what happens to these other facets of life, that that main and chief connection, that main and chief identity that I have of being a follower of Jesus Christ, that can never be severed, that can never be uh, sawn asunder, that can never be toppled, that can never be destroyed. I know that no matter what happens, I have a sure foundation for the soul, and I have an anchor within the Holy of Holies that nothing can separate me from. That encourages me, and it ought to encourage you. We see this doctrine of separation. It says the reason, I I think that word is important, entangleth himself. Entangleth himself. I see Christians all the time that get tangled up on different issues. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we need to neglect having an opinion. We ought to have an opinion. 
But I know some folks that never do anything for Jesus Christ because they're always tangled up with something going on in this world that we live in. They're always depressed. They're always frustrated. They're always ready to throw in the towel, ready to give up because of this that's happened and that that's happened. They're always worried about everything all around them, and it literally paralyzes them from doing anything for Christ because the only thing they've ever got their eyes on is the circumstances of this world. I'll tell you right now, if you get too caught up in this world, it'll tangle you up and you won't be able to ever run your race with patience. Entangleth himself. It catches them up. Why do we do this? Why do we seek this separation? Is it because we as believers seek to stick our heads in the sand? No, that's not why. Is it because we could care less what would happen in this world? No, that's not necessarily why. We have a motive as to why we uh, set our affection on things above and not on things on the earth, as Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 says. And it's found in this next phrase, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. You're going to have to be heavenly minded to do anything for God. Because I'll tell you right now, if you're spending all your time looking around this world, you're always going to be too discouraged and too disgusted to ever do anything for the Lord. Just as a soldier at this time uh, would not endeavor into a business venture or endeavor in uh, many times he would not uh, endeavor into matrimonial responsibilities when he knew he was going to have to go off to war. You and I understand that our time in this world is short and so we ought to use it for the glory of Jesus Christ. We ought not to invest ourselves too much in this world that we live in. I hate to serve notice, but it's all going to burn up one day. That house is going to burn up one day. That car is going to burn up one day. Uh, those clothes are going to burn up one day. You ought to learn how to invest yourself in heavenly things that will encourage you in these hard times. Notice a second thing. Look at the next phrase. The Bible says, And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. Now, the first picture we saw was that of a soldier. But the next picture that we see is that of an Olympian, that of a runner. And uh, we're told here in this passage that uh, that Olympian, he may run the race, he may finish the race, but if he's stepped out of bounds, if he's cheated, if he's not done things in accordance with the rules, then he'll not receive the crown that is in front of him. Can I give you a truth that will help you in these hard times that we live in? And it's not just the truth of separation, it's the truth of sanctification. You know what a lot of folks have a tendency to do when hard times come? They have a tendency to throw their convictions to the wind, start living like the world, just give up, give out, get out, quit on church, quit on the Lord, quit on everything, because here come hard times. They didn't ask for them. They wasn't planning on them. When hard times showed up and things got difficult, they just threw their hands up and said, I'm not doing it anymore. Paul reminds folks like that, that you may run this race. You know the race is a picture of life. One thing about it, every one of us, there's a starting point to our life and there's going to be an ending point to it. We'll finish the race, there's no question. But we might find when we finish that race uh, that that crown that we expected because we didn't live right, didn't strive lawfully. And by the way, that crown is not your salvation. That crown is a reward that would be given to you from the Lord for you faithfully living for Him. We might find out when we get to the end of our life and we say, you know, you ask everybody, do you live for the Lord? And everybody will tell you they do. Everybody will. And uh, that's, just a, that's just a fact of life. I don't say that to, to uh, discourage you or anything. I don't say it to gripe. That's just the truth. Everybody, you ask them, you're a good person, you love the Lord, you've been saved. Everybody say, yes. If you ask any Christian, do you serve the Lord? They'll say, well, I'm trying my best. And uh, we talked about that on Monday night. You know, folks that say, well, I do my best. Uh, well, do you know anyone that really does their best? I don't do my best all the time. 
Uh, there's plenty of times I don't do my best. There's plenty of times I fail and mess up. And you'll ask folks, are you being faithful to the Lord? Well, I'm doing my best, and everybody will say that. Can I remind those folks, and I believe Paul's trying to remind those folks tonight, uh, that uh, you can say that you're running the race right. You can even finish the race, and all of us will finish the race. But if you want to be crowned, if you want God to reward you for the things that you've done, you've got to strive lawfully. Don't, when things get difficult, throw your convictions to the wind. Don't, when things get difficult, say, well, I'm going to get out, I'm, I'm frustrated, I'm, I'm discouraged, and I'm going to quit, and I'm, going to start, I'm just going to sit at the home and pout, and, uh, you know, sulk, and so on and so forth. No, hard times are going to come. You say, what do you do when hard times come? You've got to dig in. You've got to look to the Lord for your strength and for your help, and you've got to go inch by inch. You know, it was said of the First World War that they called it the War of Inches. I mean, that was something different than any other war that we've ever fought. They literally, they would spend weeks, months even, uh, dug down in a trench just, just trying. And they weren't trying to take whole hillsides. They weren't trying to take whole towns. But they would fight for weeks just to get an inch or two. And you know, that's the Christian life sometimes. Sometimes you're not taking a whole hillside. You say, what do you do, preacher? You slow down and you fight for those inches. Just slow down, do what you know to do. Slow down, read your Bible, pray, stay in church, slow down. And just be willing to serve the Lord, do the things you know to do, and just go inch by inch. That's what you do. You don't give out and give up. You keep going in these hard times that we live in. So I see not only the idea of separation and sanctification, but look at verse 6. And I'm going I'm to fuss at Mr. Schofield here. He says, the Bible says, "...the husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits." Now, some of you all may have a Schofield Bible. I don't know if you do, but I do. And uh, you'll see in the center column that Mr. Schofield gives this note for that. He says uh, there at letter K, you can see it if you've got a Schofield Bible, that what that should say is, must labor before partaking of the fruits. Now, that's all good and everything, except it completely contradicts what your King James Bible says. You say, what do we do? We just ignore Mr. Schofield when times like that happen. Mr. Schofield wasn't inspired and preserved, but that King James Bible is inspired and preserved. And so, when I read this passage, I disagree with what Mr. Schofield's saying. Mr. Schofield is trying to say that the lesson that Paul was teaching us is that you got to labor before you get to partake. But that's not what verse number 6 says. Verse number 6 says, "...the husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker." of the fruits. You say, what is Paul trying to teach us here? Now, you may disagree, but I see the truth of satisfaction in this passage. What he's saying here is the laborer that's out in the field that's sowing. First, we was talking about a soldier. Then we was talking about a runner or an Olympian. Now we're talking about a farmer. And that farmer that has toiled, that has spent so much time. I mean, you stop and think about the picture of a farmer now. I mean, if there was ever a picture of faith, it's the farmer. The farmer takes that dead seed that there's no natural reason to believe it'd ever live again. And he tosses it in that upturned soil, and he uh, covers it with dirt. And you'd think shutting out the light and covering it with the dirt and not getting oxygen, to, you'd think surely it'd never live, but a little water is applied to it. And by the miracle of God, that thing sprouts life and comes up. It, farming really is an activity of faith. The farmer has no idea what his crop's going to be like. You say, what does he do, preacher? He has to trust the Lord of the harvest. That's all he can do. And then pretty soon, it'll pop up through the ground, and the harvest will come. Well, let me ask you something. Who's the first one that ever partakes of what comes out of that ground? The first person that ever tastes of it, that's going to be the farmer. And do you know the, there's a lot of reasons the farmer does that? One is because he wants to check the quality. 
But I don't believe that what's being said here is that you check the quality. I think another reason he does it, do you know why? Because his family has to be fed before anyone else has to. You know what I believe Paul's teaching us here? He's talking to Timothy. Timothy's a young pastor. And I'll testify to you as a young pastor. Now, there's lots of times that it's easy just to preach sermons and to preach messages. And there's times when you tend to this area more than you do to your prayer closet. I'm just being honest. There's times you fall guilty of that. And I think what Paul is trying to teach Timothy is this. Don't get up and preach something that you're not practicing. Don't get up, don't, don't get out there and sow something when you're not being fed. You say, what does this have to do with you and me, preacher? Uh, preacher, I, I, I'm a lay person. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. I don't teach. What does that have to do with me? Well, you and I, we've both been entrusted with a ministry. Both of us have. When Paul wrote, as we therefore have received this ministry, let us, uh, you know, let us uh, faint not. As we have received mercy, let us faint not. When Paul wrote that and he talked about that ministry, he wasn't just talking to preachers. He was talking to everybody. And you have a responsibility to be a help to other folks. Can I just, and I'm going to try to just tell it the best that I can. Uh, Lots of you, you're that person that folks go to when they need prayer. And you're that person. If someone came to you and needed advice, you'd have advice to give them. If someone came to you and their home, their marriage was falling apart, you'd probably tell them, well, are you going to church anywhere? Well, do you and your spouse, do you read the Bible? Do you pray together? Well, are you, your kids, are you trying to raise them for the Lord? Are you trying to do the right thing? You'd pray with them. You'd point them to the Word of God. You'd say, that's what you need to look to. Every one of us has a ministry in that aspect. You have friends. You have neighbors. You have people. And you know what you're doing? You're pointing them to Jesus Christ. That's what you ought to be doing. You say, what is it that we need to do in these hard times? I think just as during these hard times, If someone was to come to me or you, we'd point them to Jesus. I think we ought to point ourselves to Jesus Christ and find in Him the satisfaction that we need. I think we're going to have to go back to that relationship with Christ that sometimes we neglect in hard times. You know, it's, I've been reading a book on uh, Nazi Germany and on, on how that, uh, that National Socialism instituted itself and uh, was so embraced in uh, Nazi Germany. And one of the things that they talk about is how uh, that the folks got used to being governed by surprise. And how that there would be just, you know, executive edict after edict and how that uh, people just became comfortable with the idea that the government would operate either on information that was too complicated for the common person to understand or if they could understand it was too dangerous for them to know. And so they would just have to be in the dark about it. And, you know, uh, sometimes we live in a world where that's what we're familiar with, just governed by surprise. And sometimes it's easy in our Christian life to point others and just say, yeah, that's the way, that's the way, that's the way. And all the while, we're ignoring and neglecting that way. We've got to learn to get back to that place where we lean effectually on Jesus Christ day in and day out. That's what we tell other folks. That's what we ought to tell ourselves. Are you having a hard time tonight? I can point you to no better place than Calvary. Are you discouraged tonight? I can tell you nothing greater than to say to cast your care upon Him. Cast all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. You see, that's what we tell other folks. But we've got to be first partaker of the fruits. We've got to be willing to do that if we're going to tell other folks to do that. I don't know what you're going through tonight. I don't know what you're facing. But I know that Christ is the answer to it, whatever it is. I don't know what breaks your heart tonight, but I know Christ can mend it. I don't know what... Uh, what stirs your heart tonight, but I know Christ can calm it. I don't know what unsettles your mind tonight, but I know that Christ can give it surety and stability. 
Oh, you're going to go through hard times just like I'm going to go through hard times. And whether we endure or not is based upon where we'll go for the help that we need when we face these times. Are we tied up in this world that we live in? Are we tangled up in the affairs of this life? Or do we just cast off all trying and all attempts when things get difficult? Or do we give other folks advice that we ourselves wouldn't take? I'd say every bit of it can be remedied if we'd find our place back to the foot of the cross, if we'd come back to the prayer closet, and if we'd ask the Lord for the help that we so desperately need.